The following audio is from Overland Park Community Church. More information about OPCC is available online at www.overlandpark.cc. Welcome to Overland Park Community Church, and it's kind of cool to think that uh, we are here in uh, the heartland of America, and we're ministering to this community, and we're also simultaneously uh, beginning to minister halfway across the world as our worship pastor touches ground in the Ivory Coast, and he's got a lot of responsibility this week. Um, So thankful for him to be able to go over and lead with uh, 1040i, an incredible organization that I'm a part of, and the church has has kind of supported and been a part of the work of the ministry of going and doing humanitarian work, and, and in the Ivory Coast, literally cooperating with the national church there um, and helping people uh, to reach uh, and spread the gospel and reach others and, and do incredible work for the kingdom. So be in prayer for Brent and the team. Pray that God would uh, help him to fulfill the responsibilities that he has. And then um, pray also a little selfishly that as he comes back, he will bring a fresh wave of, of renewed fire. It's always a powerful experience to go on mission like this. If you've never been able to do it, I'd encourage you. Um, we've been able to take several trips um, there to Haiti, other places in the world, and so there are opportunities. Um, um, our church is kind of mission-focused. We've got a lot of people who've gone to Belize um, and just done different work, so it's really cool. So be in prayer for Brent as he comes back. Very exciting stuff as he's over there ministering um, to people who certainly uh, are in need of, of the hand of God touching their lives. And so we're looking and. Uh, this book of Nehemiah we've been studying. So if you're here today and this is your first time and you got the folder and it's like the wall and you're like, is he going to talk about political stuff? (laughs) I'm not, okay? We're not dealing with uh, Donald Trump's wall. We're talking about a wall in the Bible, okay? So we're talking about uh, Nehemiah here and, and we've been learning and unpacking this incredible leadership stuff and how this guy was just an incredible leader from the Lord and how we can apply a lot of the same principles to our own lives of what it means to receive a divine vision from the Lord. So just to bring you up to speed, if you haven't been with us the past couple of weeks, is that Nehemiah, he he received a, a divine vision from God to go back and rebuild the walls of his homeland. He was in exile in the um, city of, of Babylon, and his home country was Jerusalem, and the walls were broken down, and, and God had just kind of through prophecy that had been prophesied that God would gather his people back again, the nation of Israel. And through just a course of events, Nehemiah started dealing with him, is God calling me, um, just a layman, to go and do this? Like, we're not looking at a priest, we're not looking at a prophet, we're just looking at a dude who believes in the Lord, loves the Lord, and God is working in the midst of his life and calls him away from his secure position to go and lead a group of people with the reconstruction of of the walls. And so we look and we get to chapter 3, and we we see like Nehemiah's ability to execute a plan and delegate. We see how he went about accomplishing the task. And it basically just lays out who was responsible for building which sections of the wall. And so he goes out and says, he started with, okay, we're going to have this, this guy be responsible for this um, particular gate, and then they would go down to each gate, and there were sections in between the gates, and he just delegated, this is who's going to 
to be responsible for these different areas of the wall. So as you read through chapter 3, there's not a ton that we're going to be able to extract out of that on a Sunday morning sermon. Uh, But there are a couple of highlights that I thought I would throw out before I jump into chapter 4. One, I think, is in verse 4 or 5. It says that um, in the people of Tekoa, the nobles and the officers, they wouldn't work. Like, they were like, they were too good for that. And we're going to see them show back up later. So just remember, here are some guys who, who thought that they were above the everyday service of, of building a wall. They didn't want to get their hands dirty. And then one of my favorite people you'll find in verse 20 of chapter 3 is a guy by the name of Baruch. And it says that Baruch, like it's going through there and it says, and this guy built that part of the wall, and this guy built that part of the wall. And then when it gets to Baruch, it says that he zealously worked. Like, I like that dude already. Like, this, like everybody else is like, we got to get the work done, but here's a dude who's whistling while he's working. This is probably a guy who's been praying. We don't know this, okay? So I'm, I'm just assuming and looking and thinking, why does it say that he zealously worked? Well, I can tell you what will fire your heart up and make you a zealous person is when you are a person of prayer and you talk to the Lord. And so here's Nehemiah back in Babylon. He's talking to the Lord. God, are you calling me to go and rebuild the walls? There's a good chance that this guy Baruch may have been praying his entire life. Lord, can we just rebuild the reputation of our city and who we are as a, as a nation and, and the protection? And he's been praying about movement for years. And all of a sudden, it starts to happen. And I think, um, I just believe that that's probably why it mentions that he zealously worked. He's been waiting on some t- uh, an opportunity to take action and see some movement by the hand of God in his home country for a long time. And Nehemiah showed up and he was an answer to his prayer. And so you, you get that in ministry sometimes when you're working and, and you begin to preach the gospel and you feel like God has, has called you to do something special. And then he, he puts people like this around you. And I thank God um, for you guys because you show this attitude that you zealously want to go to work. Like you just believe in the vision of God of advancing the kingdom and planning a, a church in this community that, that believes that the word of God is so vitally important for us to live the kind of lives that the Lord wants us to live is we got to submit to the authority and the inerrancy of the scripture. We apply it to our lives. We, we bow down to the Lord Jesus Christ in submission and listen to what he says to us. And as you hear me proclaim that vision of who we are as a body of believers, and, and you work zealously, man, I love that. It just fires me up. It makes me feel like I'm not in this alone, and I thank God for you. And so he's a, he's a person that we want to look at and go, hey, man, here's someone we want to follow the example and be a guy who works like that when it comes to the kingdom. And so we go back to chapter 4, and we're going to pick up where Nehemiah is, is beginning the actual construction. So chapter 3 says, this is who's responsible for what. In chapter 4, we get into the actual building of the wall. Now, Nehemiah probably thought when he was back in Babylon, um, he probably thought that he was going to come and he was just going to slam up the wall. That's what leaders think when they get a divine vision. It's certainly what I thought when I had confirmation that God was calling me to Overland Park to, to build a ministry, to relaunch a church. I just thought, man, I've got the experience to rely on. I've seen the hand of God move in my life. I'm going to come here. We're going to slam this church up. That's probably what Nehemiah was thinking, but that's not what happened. Like, it wasn't just easy sailing all along the way. And it never is with divine vision. I think that God helps us to have that kind of confidence in him. Uh, but sometimes there are setbacks. There's opposition that we have to deal with. And we see that um, in, in Nehemiah's life. The further he got into the vision, 
the more movement that he experienced, but his job also got harder. And so he, he feels God call him. It's just a vision that he has in his mind. Then God begins to make it real by giving him permission from the king. The king grants him permission to go back, gives him a leave of absence to go back to his home country, rebuild the walls. He finances the operation, gives him a security detail, and he sets out on the journey. And so even though he has the resources to make it happen, it still is not a reality because there's a big job that needs to be done and there's not a workforce. The people didn't even live in the city. They had moved outside of the city and they were farming and and making their way and and it was hard times for them and so he was gonna have to get those people to lay down their normal everyday activities and focus on an extra project for an extended period of time to get the walls reconstructed around uh, the city of Jerusalem and so he's got a large task at hand in front of him and when we see that his job as he gets movement and things start happening we we see that things become more difficult as he experiences that movement. And eventually, discouragement sets in. So I wanted to say to you today that a lot of times we hear a theology that is espoused from the modern-day church that when you follow the Lord, everything is perfect and rosy. And that you just give your life to Jesus and you have enough faith And he's going to make you rich and you're going to have nice cars and your home. You're going to get out of debt and everything's going to be perfect and everybody's going to love you. That is not an accurate theology of the New Testament, okay? When we look at the New Testament, there are people who are following Jesus get killed, okay? They're not prospering in the material sense of what the world would say was prosperous. But yet they are increasingly filled with the joy of the Lord and that is never... uh, Even though they're facing incredible opposition, they're still able to maintain this incredible faith because God is moving in the midst of their lives. And so as you give your life to the Lord and you surrender to the Lordship of Christ and you begin to read the Word and you submit to the Word and you're starting your journey and maybe you you, you become a Christian and then you follow in baptism and then you start to exercise the discipline of of tithing in your life and you start giving and, and, and you start increasing your faith and movement happens in your life, then discouraging things are going to happen. And we live in a world in which everything that we can see is influenced by everything that we cannot see. And so there are influences around us, um, spiritual forces at work that seek to discourage us. Why? Because if we get discouraged and he gets us discouraged enough then we will give up and quit advancing the mission that God has called us to. And so God calls us to this incredible journey of advancing his kingdom and and living that out individually. Each one of us has a unique vision and and God has a unique plan for our lives. And we know that our, our theme verse, one of the prophecies that was being prophesied by the prophet Jeremiah that had to do with Israel going back to Jerusalem as they had been exiled was that God had a plan for them. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. And I believe that we can take that verse, and though it applies to the nation of Israel, I think there are some principles that are timeless. Is that as we choose to follow the Lord and surrender our lives completely to Him, we are harmonizing with the plan that God has for us. We are aligning ourselves with the divine vision that God has for my life. 
And that vision is not to harm me, but to give me a hope and a future. And so it's to utilize me in the context of the space in which I'm occupying on the planet to advance the kingdom as only I uniquely can advance it for the Lord Jesus Christ. And so God has a plan for all of us. But you're going to get discouraged. And some of you came in here today and you are discouraged. You're discouraged about something that has happened in life that just didn't work out the way that you wanted it to. Um, you're discouraged possibly by what's going on in your career. You're discouraged um, by a relationship. You're discouraged maybe because of financially where you're at. You're, maybe you're discouraged because your health is just not the greatest or like it used to be, and, and you're just a little bit down by it. I get discouraged too. Like I, I pretty much can work through it, but there are times, man, I just get discouraged. And it's a dangerous thing when discouragement begins to set in for us. But we look at the story of Nehemiah and we see a person who is experiencing incredible opposition and he is experiencing discouragement. So today I want to share with you some important principles of how you can lay these things over your life and when you face discouragement, not if, it's when. And when you face discouragement and you navigate through it and you're not discouraged anymore, guess what? As long as you continue to advance the kingdom of Christ in your life, you're going to get discouraged again. Like it's just part of the, it's part of the process. It's part of following the Lord. It's part of being a human being. It's part of being in a fallen world. If the world was not fallen, you would never get discouraged. But God has told us it is a fallen world. We live in a world that is sinful. And because of the sinful curse that exists on the planet, even though it can be lifted in my soul and I can be redeemed and, and I'm right with the Lord and things are fixed in my soul, my soul is still inside of my body. And until Jesus comes back, that will be the way things happen is we'll live out life. And one day when the second coming of Christ takes place and he returns to the planet, the curse will be fixed forever. And, and, and the world will no longer be suffering under this curse. The book of Romans talks about this, is that even creation, the animal kingdom, the plant kingdom, it yearns for the return of Christ because when Christ returns, he will fix everything. So right now things have been fixed inside of us and our souls and we can know him and be assured of our salvation that we are in Christ. But a time is coming when all of creation will be fixed. Well, until that time, we got to deal with discouragement. And so you're going to go through these experiences and you got to be able to navigate through them and not be surprised by them. you got to realize that there are going to be people who stand in, in, in a, a direct opposition to what you're trying to do and how you're trying to live your life. And so when we look at these principles, one of the first things that we learn is when your life intersects with divine vision, people will throw shade. Now, if you don't know what throw shade means, which I'm going to confess, I did not. Like I saw it running around, I say, Kevin, Dur uh, you know, Russell Westbrook throws shade at Kevin Durant and Draymond Green. Well, I'm an Oklahoma City Thunder fan, so I want to know all about that. Like, so I have to Google what does throw shade mean? And it basically means when you diss someone, right? You publicly diss them. So if you grew up when I did, it was uh, you're dissed or you disrespect somebody publicly without maybe doing it directly. So it's an indirect publicly... Um, dissing of someone else. And so when we look at Nehemiah's story and we look at what Christ or what God has asked him to do and he begins to fulfill God's divine vision for his life, we see that it is intersecting, his life is intersecting with divine vision and because of that, people will throw shade. Let's look at verses one through three of chapter four. 
when Sanballat heard that there they were that when Sanballat heard they that that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews, and in the presence of his associates and the army of Samaria, he said, what are those feeble Jews doing? See him throwing shade? Like he's just throwing it out there publicly. He says, will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble burned as they are? Tobiah, the Ammonite, who was at his side, and anybody, this is like Kevin Durant and Draymond Green, right? The two, they always come in twos. If y'all can't see, I am bitter about Kevin Durant leaving Oklahoma City Thunder. <laughs> Let's move on. Tobiah, the Ammonite, who was at his side, said, what are they building? Even a fox climbing up on it would break down their wall of stones. And so here we see two guys, when they learn and find out that, remember, Nehemiah comes into town, he doesn't tell anybody what he's doing. And so all of a sudden, he begins to go public with it after being there a few days. And he rallies the people together. And he says, hey, God is moving in this situation. Everybody in uh, the, the people of, of, of Jerusalem, the Israelites that are still there, the remnant, they get excited and they go, uh, they have a heart to go to work. And so they begin to go to work. And so this guy, Sambale, he, um, he comes into the picture and he starts like throwing shade on the whole situation, trying to stop it. Now, interestingly, his name means sin has given life. When, when shade is thrown, sin gets life. Now, I'm not going to go and chase this rabbit, but I'm going to say this to you. There are a lot of followers of Christ who are throwing shade on social media just because, like, it is not the place to do it. And you need to understand that when you throw shade, sin gets life. When, when, you, when, when, you, when you go public and you, you say something derogatory towards someone else, then sin is giving life. So what do you do? You say, well, I don't agree with him. The, the Bible teaches us very clearly what to do. We can find it in the book of Ephesians. We are to speak the truth in love. <laughs> a lot of what we see, there's, there's a lot of truth from people. They feel like they're speaking truth. But I'm like looking for the love, and I'm like, it's not there. And so when we need to realize that if we're participating in that kind of behavior, if we're at work and we begin to be down on somebody negatively and we're just kind of running our mouth or we're participating in someone else doing that, then we're participating in sin giving life. And so that's what this guy's name means. And so that's what happens whenever shade is thrown. And so God's vision for Nehemiah was to go rebuild these walls. Why, why was this guy even upset about it? Well, he was upset about it because he was the governor of Samaria. And with Jerusalem and ruins, he had more power and influence. So when Nehemiah shows up and starts talking about rebuilding that city, it's going to directly impact his authority and his position of power within the region. And so he immediately feels threatened by it, and so he starts opposing it because Nehemiah is a threat to his secure position. People will get disturbed when you make decisions in your life that disrupts them personally. So, like, I've been in, in ministry for a long time, and I cannot tell you how many times I've watched uh, young people 
students get on fire for the Lord and get baptized and they're, they're starting to grow in the Lord and, the, and mom and dad doesn't go to church and they're like, hey, uh, uh, d- don't get all into, don't be a religious nut, all right? I think it's cool what you're doing. I think it's cool that you're going to church, but don't, don't, don't go all holy roller on us. And they get that kind of rhetoric from their family. You know, why, why is that? Because their secure position and how they're living their life is being threatened as their son or daughter begins to grow in the Lord and they're not growing, guess what happens? They, they even without realizing it begin to throw shade because they wanna pull this person down because as you pull a person down to your level, you feel better about yourself. And so you, you, it, it is not about really attacking them so much and making them feel bad as much as it is that I, I just don't want to feel bad about myself. And just by the very nature of the way this person's living, I, I don't even realize that subconsciously something's going on inside of me. I feel worse about myself. And so something just comes out of my mouth that I have no control over. And this is what we can expect when we get serious about serving the Lord. You start to get, try to t- attend church faithfully and you watch what happens to some of your friends who don't attend church faithfully. They'll, they'll start try, trying to get you to go do other stuff. Why? Is it, is it because they don't think you should attend church? No, it doesn't have anything to do with that. Sometimes they don't even realize that they are discouraging you. It is just the behavior of where they're at in life and the way they feel about their life and they're not doing certain things and, and they want to pull us back down. And so we have two alternatives. We either keep moving forward and pull that person up or we allow that person to pull us back down. And so it's very important for us to see that when our life intersects with divine uh, vision, people will throw shade. Now, I have never accomplished anything in my life for the Lord where I did not face opposition. In 1999, I became a lead pastor of a church of about 250 people. I had four years of experience as a, uh, as a youth pastor. I was 29 years old. Abby was 20 uh, Wait, how old were you, Abby? I don't even remember. 21. And we're pastoring a church of 250 people with no lead pastor experience. So we didn't know anything what we were doing. We just believed the Lord. We're going to move forward. We're going to preach the gospel. And the Lord's blessing that church. And so we're, we're growing and the church starts to, to fill up and, and we fill the, the sanctuary up. It's, it's kind of similar to this sanctuary, but the ceilings weren't as high and it was a little bit longer. It would hold about 300 people. We maxed it out. And so we, I'm looking, I'm like, well, Lord, what do you want us to do? And the Lord clearly, he, he spoke to me through um, prayer time and, and being in the word. And he said, well, what you're gonna, what, what, and talking to the leaders is we decided, hey, Let's move worship out to the gym. And let's just quit meeting in here. Let's buy some chairs. We can, we can sit about 400 people out there and uh, at four to 500, I don't remember exactly what it was, and we can continue to grow and we'll raise money for, for a new worship facility and, and we'll renovate this as a space right here and put the kids ministry in it. And so we, like, we were excited. We spent some time building the strategy and how we're gonna go forward and doing this. And, and man, I was so excited. And, and so this was a congregational-led government, which meant that they, they voted on everything, okay? And so in order to be able to do this, to make this decision to move out there, we had to bring the congregation together and have a business meeting and, and vote on it. Like everybody had to vote on it. And so like sometimes that can be a recipe for disaster because you can have a lot of Sambalots and Tobias out there. That, that want to oppose everything. 
And so here I am, 29 years old, one of my first business meetings, and I got the congregation in there. Man, I'm prepared. I've got my stuff. And you know me, I'm a persuader. Like, I'm just talking faith, big-time faith. Like, we can do this, guys. And I'm presented all, and I'm so excited, and, and I get everything presented, and then we entertain a motion to do this, and, and the motion comes from the floor, and the second comes from the floor. Is there any discussion? And as soon as I said, is there any discussion, a guy was standing right back in that corner. He stood up to his feet, and the words that came out of his mouth were, I'm a against it and I thought did you hear anything I just said like my heart started beating I couldn't believe like like is that the devil (laughs) like that's what I wanted like all these thoughts were going through my mind how could he stand up and be against this like the church is growing and so I just kind of held course there I stayed uh, true and and listened to what he had to say And then somebody else got up and started talking about why they was for it. And I never had to say a word. And so we moved forward. To make a long story short, we made the decision. We moved out. The church kept growing. And we continued to grow all the way up until the time that I left that church. It was still growing. And hundreds and hundreds of people were baptized and gave their lives to Christ. And it's still an incredible church even to this day. And so, like, I, I say that only to say, that happened, that kind of stuff happened to me over and over and over again. That very person was a very influential person when I took that church that did that. When I would preach, he would make faces at me. Like I'd be up here just preaching away and he'd be like, and I'd be like, he is the devil. That's what I had to tell myself. And so I had to look away, you know, and just stay focused. And nobody knew he was doing it but him and me. Like, he was, he was good at it. And I was like, I cannot believe this is happening. All the way throughout my time there, he opposed everything that I did and always was trying to be discouraging to me. And he reminds me a lot of this guy right here. And so we will have those things. Now, the good, thing, good news about these people is, is that they, like, we look at them and we want to just, like, have them eliminated. Like, we want them out of the picture. But one of the good things about these people is they will help us to stay focused on the Lord. They will help us to stay and meet with the Lord and just, you know, meet with him and talk to him about him. And that's what we see that Nehemiah does. And here's the next point I'm going to share with you. If the vision is the Lord, so is the, if the vision is the Lord, so is the battle. Like if the vision belongs to God and God calls you to do something and your life intersects with divine vision and you face opposition, this is a battle that belongs to the Lord. This is one of the strongest prayers you will read in scripture. And it's like, whoa, I don't know if I want to pray that way. But let's listen to Nehemiah's prayer when Sambalay and Tobiah start to lead an opposition against him. Hear us, our God, for we are despised. Turn their insults back on their own heads. Give them over as plunder in a land of captivity. Do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight, for they have thrown insults in the face of the builders. So we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height, for the people worked with all their heart. Like, what did Nehemiah did? do? He did not get in a war of words. Like he, he just took it to the Lord. He recognized how off they were. He knew that this vision came from God and he knew that if he spent any time trying to debate and negotiate with those people right there, it was just gonna get him off course of the vision and the mission that God had called him to. And so he gave it to the Lord. He, he took his emotion to the Lord. He took his venting to the Lord. If Nehemiah was today, uh, alive today, 
Nehemiah would not get on Facebook and talk about how bad Sanballat was. Like what he would do is get on his face before the Lord and say, Lord, this is discouraging to me. I can't believe that someone is opposing me like this. He wouldn't send out mean tweets. Like he would not try to send hidden messages. He would be direct and he would move forward and he would continue to work on on the wall. And so don't get in a war of words when someone opposes you. Take it to the Lord and move on. And then you have to expect that your opposition is going to get more hostile before they give up. That's exactly what happened to me is it went from opposing me to making faces at me. And, and it was, listen, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to tell you some more stories because they're good stories. One day, we had some people leaving the church, um, some significant leaders that were, were departing, um, and they really made a political play to try to, like, influence the direction of the church. Now, you have to keep in mind, the church is growing during this entire time. Like, we're moving. And so uh, there was some improper doctrine that was coming up that I had to deal with and say, no, we're not that kind of church. Like, we're not, that's not what we do here, and we're going to participate with that missions agency back there, then we can't do it here, okay? Like, that's going to, it's just a matter of time if we keep going there and cooperating with them until some of that stuff makes its way back here. So I had to deal with that, and it, it, it cost me, that decision cost me some uh, significant leaders, and so, um, or a significant leader, I should say. And so at this time, we're going through this transition, and, and I, like, there's some significant people that, that have left, and, and as I'm dealing with that and processing it, I'm, I get a, I read a devotion in a, a devotional called My Utmost for His Highest. If you're looking for a devotional to complement your scripture, that's a great one, My Utmost for His Highest. It'll blow your mind. And so on this particular day that this was happening this week, I knew I had some leaders that were just, man, that just kind of rattled them that this one person had left the church. And so I, I, I got up that morning and got ready for church and um, I read this devotional and it talked about when big men leave. And that was the devotion. I was like, I can't believe this is the devotion for today. So I, I, we had like multiple buildings on campus. And so I was always in this building over here on Sunday morning. I was always in the worship center. But on this particular day, because I had this, this, this word from the Lord, I wanted to go share it with another leader. So it led me on a journey to the, uh, throughout the campus looking for this leader, and I ended up way back in the, the gym where we were having service before we completed our new building. And so as I'm making my way by there, I walk by this one Sunday school. We had Sunday school class at this church. I walk by the Sunday school class, and I hear my name. I said, what do you do when you hear your name? You stop and listen, right? So I stop and listen just for a second, and it's this guy's class, and they're having a gripe session about me. <laughs> And he's, letting, he's leading his little group of people through coming and talking to me about things that I'm doing wrong. Now, this is a Sunday school class. What do you do in Sunday school? You study the Bible. You don't talk about the pastor. So you know what I did? I opened the door and walked right in. And he said, well, hello, Brother Jimmy. We were just talking about you. I said, I know you were. I've been standing outside the hall for five minutes. Man, you could have heard a pin drop. <laughs> there were some people that were in my camp in that classroom, and they stood up immediately because of the courage that I had, and they said, I am not for the discussion. This has made me uncomfortable, and they walked out. They're still at that church today, okay? They're solid people. And so it was necessary for me to do that. It took an incredible amount of courage. Like, you, you feel that, and you go, man, 
Like, this is discouraging. There was part of me when I, when I heard that and I heard what they were doing, I wanted to go back to my office and cry. Like, I could not believe this was happening. All of the good stuff that's happening around us and people could not see it because things were changing so rapidly. They were losing the little church that they had had so long instead of looking at how the kingdom of God was advancing and people's lives were being changed. And so here's the deal is that opposition will just continually increase in your life. And so we, we, we look at as we're advancing the vision, we can expect opposition to get more hostile before they give up. Look, look at what happens for Nehemiah. And, and I know when you look in your bulletin, you're like, dude, he has got a lot of blanks to fill. Don't worry, we'll get there. <laughs> so it says, they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. But we prayed to our God and we posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. Meanwhile, the people in Judah said, the strength of the laborers is giving out and there is so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. Also, our enemies said, before they know it or see us, we will be right there among them and, and we will kill them and put an end to the work. Then the Jews who lived near them came and told us 10 times over. You know what that means? It was, the, it was the topic that was being discussed among everybody. They just kept saying it. It says, wherever you turn, they will attack us. So this was the people in the midst that was doing the building that were saying, man, they're going to kill us. They're coming from everywhere. They're coming from every direction. And so Sambalay, what he had done is he had gotten everybody from every other region to come in and, and pour out these threats. Now, we, we deal with the question, well, why didn't they ever attack them? Because they didn't have the authority to do it because Nehemiah, whom God was moving, he had the, the, the hand of the Lord turns the heart of the king. King Artaxerxes had permitted him to go back and do this. And so they weren't going to do anything as long as Nehemiah was there because they knew that um, Artaxerxes was going to come in and, and level them. And so they were just threatening. They were bluffing. They were ridiculing. They were scaring the people. They were trying to get the people to give up. And that's the kind of psychological warfare that we face whenever we start to try to advance the vision that God has breathed into our lives. Here's the thing is it's normal to get stir discouraged, but it's not normal to stay discouraged. It's normal to get discouraged, but it's not normal to stay there. Discouragement finally set in for Nehemiah. The people were afraid they were tired, they were unfocused, they were ready to give up. Like the, the opposition had worked against um, Nehemiah so well that now the people, like they were, they were just, man, they were almost done. And as the problems multiplied and magnified, what did Nehemiah do? He just kept building, man. He just kept building. He kept rallying them. Now, Nehemiah constantly, we see Nehemiah constantly combined prayer with preparation. And that's what we say is leadership. Like he prayed, he took it to the Lord, but he always stayed prepared. And he always interacted in the midst of the situation as he knew the opposition was taking place. And he did what he felt like the Lord was leading him to do. He took action and he dealt with the situation the best way that he could, but he kept moving forward and, and staying focused on the mission that God had called him to, to reconstruct the walls around Jerusalem. And so if you're going to be a, a leader in, in the kingdom of God and move things forward in your life, and, and again, we can say even in your home, like, like we could say this, this could go all the way up from the CEO all all the way to the mom and dad in their home trying to be the CEO of their family, is that when we get discouraged um, and it starts to set in, we have to figure out how do we move past it. And it is always when we combine prayer and preparation, 
That's what leadership is all about. Prepare for the situation, soak it, soak it in prayer, and move forward as God shows you the next thing to do. There are four causes of discouragement that we see here from Nehemiah. And so I'm, let's just deal with those, these real quick because they're the same things that will discourage us. These are not original with me. They come from uh, uh, Ch- uh, Charles Swindoll's great, great book. It's called uh, Hand Me Another Brick, Lord. And so he says, um, one is a loss of strength. Verse 10, the strength of the laborers is giving out. Now, when was it giving out? If you study the passage, you'll see that they were halfway there. The most discouraging phase of any project is halfway. Like, even when I started talking about all the blanks and you guys looked at how many weren't full, you're like, we're not even halfway there yet. And y'all started getting discouraged. Because the, the most discouraging phase of any project is halfway. Well, I remodeled my bathroom. And I, got, I was like two and a half months in it. And it was halfway, man. It was, I was getting discouraged. I was like, am I ever going to get this project completed. And so that's what happens for us is we have a loss of strength and it can be a very discouraging time when we get tired. And so fatigue will set in and we get tired and that can cause us to get discouraged. The second thing is a loss of vision. Verse 10 also says, there is so much rubble. Rubbish and discouragement are Siamese twins. Like, like when you put all of the problems around and how bad it is, and, and then you, get, you start to have a little bit of discouragement, discouragement, those two just go together hand in hand. And so you've got to beware of focusing on rubbish because rubbish is going to be around. And at the halfway point, there's more rubbish than you can see as to what you've accomplished. The third thing is a loss of confidence. They said in verse 10, we cannot rebuild the wall. When you lose strength and vision, you, you lose confidence. They got halfway because they had a heart to work. But then they lost confidence at the halfway point. Why? Because they lost their heart. And no heart equals no motivation, and you just finally give up. That's why a lot of projects never do get completed. And then they had a loss of security. Verse 11 says, In, the, our enemies said, before you see us, we will kill you. And so discouragement is, 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 is sort of like, you know, you're, going, you're, you're on a journey in a car and you have a flat t- tire. And so discouragement is like that. And you can start praying about your flat tire. Lord, I got a flat tire and I still have 50 miles to go. And you can pray and you can pray and you can pray and you can pray and you can keep driving. But you're still going to have a problem until you get out and fix the flat tire and put some air back in it. doesn't matter how much you pray, there's not going to be any air in that tire. And so you have to pray and you have to prepare. You have to get out and you have to fix the flat. And then when you fix the flat and you reinflate the tire, then you're able to continue on your journey. And so today, for those of you who are mechanically inclined, I'm going to give you the pneumatic techniques for fixing discouragement. All right, not the pneumatic, but the pneumatic. Is that there's a way to reinflate yourself, and it's exactly what Nehemiah does. First one, unify efforts toward a go goal. Therefore, I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places, posting them by families with their swords, spears, and bows. And so what did Nehemiah do? He stopped working. He took a little bit of a break, and he reorganized, and he put families together in units. Now, why is this important? Because if a, if a dad is going to fight for anybody, he's going to fight for his own family. So he puts the families together in units and he stations them together and he gets them to focus on the fact, hey, if they come and attack us, we're going to fight back. And I'm telling you, I bet you like Baruch is like, you dang right we are. I'm taking somebody out. 
Like he wasn't the nervous one. He probably was the one that was right by Nehemiah's side helping him to get people um, refocused. And so you got to unify the efforts toward a goal. And so they stopped the work and he pulled them together and, and he, he organized them in family units. The second thing is you got to direct your attention to the Lord. I love this part. Verse 14, after I looked things over, I stood up and I said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your families, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. And so he got them to stop looking at the rubbish and start looking up at the Lord. When you get discouraged, you got to quit looking at the rubbish and you got to start looking up at the Lord. Um, discouragement is, it, when we get discouraged, we will generally find that we're thinking about ourselves. We're starting to have a little bit of a pity party. And so we have to change that focus. We're looking at the rubbish in our lives and we're getting down. And so we have to quit looking at ourselves and at the problems and we have to start looking up toward God. One of my verses that I've been living in the past few weeks is uh, Psalm chapter 121. It says, I lift my eyes to the mountains. Where, do my, where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And so as I face a challenge and I go, man, how am I gonna get through this? I have to look up and say, my help comes from the Lord the maker of heaven and earth. And so that's how we navigate through discouraging experiences is we keep our eyes focused up and not inwardly and we keep looking to the Lord to help us navigate through difficult times in our lives. And so as you go through these difficult times uh, of, of discouragement, you gotta quit looking in, you gotta quit looking around and you gotta start looking up and know that your help comes from the Lord. The third thing is you have to maintain a balance with your thoughts and actions. Look at verse 17. Those who carried materials did their work with one hand and held a weapon in the other. They did their work with one hand and held a weapon in the other. You gotta learn to build and battle. You cannot take the approach that God's gonna do it all and I'm gonna do nothing. Like there's always a responsibility that lies on us. That's why the vision is divine and it intersects with our life is we have a responsibility to carry some of the load. And then finally, we have to develop a serving others attitude. He says in verse 20, wherever you hear the sound of the trumpet, join us there. Our God will fight for us. And so you don't go it alone. You don't do it alone. God has surrounded us with each other. And if you notice, the more that we get plugged in, the deeper we dive into the mission of God for our church, it seems to me like people come around us. Like, so we have, to, we have to realize that sometimes we'll go through things where we feel like there's opposition, but as we stay faithful to what God has called us to do, we realize there are people around us. And so sometimes I, I look and I go, man, I wish there were more people that were starting to come to the church and we could get our message out about what we're trying to do is, is teach people how to follow the Lord and surrender completely to him. And, and I wish more, more people were here, but sometimes I got to stop and quit looking at all the rubbish and start looking at what God has done. The people, all they could see is the stuff that hadn't been cleaned up. They couldn't see that they had made halfway of the wall. They were at the halfway point. And so sometimes I, when I get discouraged, you know what I do? Like I think about you guys. And I just start calling your names to the Lord. And I say, thank you, Lord, um, for Dan and Amy Mert. And I, I, I just like, I, I call all of you out. Like if you've been coming to church here and you fill out a connection card and this is your church home, there's been a time that I've talked to the Lord about you. And I'm thankful for that because the Lord is showing me I'm not alone. Like he's surrounded me with his people. 
And he surrounded you with those same, people, those same people. So we're in this thing together. And so we don't go it alone. When we realize we're in it together, we want to help each other. And when we start helping each other, we defeat discouragement. So here's the big idea for you today. Is that discouragement is not terminal. It's temporary. Like it's just temporary. It's okay to be discouraged. Your life's not going to end. Look at these principles and start manifesting the right behavior and working through the process, looking up to the Lord and let him carry you through. Let me tell you the rest of the story about my Sambalat. Is that the church continued to grow and this guy, like he would, remember he's making faces at me while I'm preaching. (laughs) I love this. The church got so big, I didn't even know where he was sitting. Like I couldn't see him anymore. When I left the church, they had to put together a pulpit committee. And so they put the pulpit committee together, and and the congregation was deciding on that, and they they nominated the group who would search for the next pastor. And as they were approving that nominating committee, somebody from the congregation stood up and nominated my Sanballat, the guy that opposed me, from the floor, thinking they could get him in. And the church voted him down. Now look at that and I go, oh man, look at what God's, like I just look at that and go, hey, listen, here's a guy who was opposing the work of God the entire time. He had incredible influence in the church at one time and did incredible work for the Lord. But he quit, he lost sight of what the Lord wanted to do in that ministry. And so as each year passed and he opposed it, his influence just kept going down more and more and more. And so that, like God, remember, if the vision is the Lord's, the battle is too. So if you're discouraged today and you're, you're like, um, man, I, I don't know how I can make it through this. You can make it. It's temporary. It's not terminal. Thank you for listening to audio from Overland Park Community Church in Overland Park, Kansas. For more information, visit us online at www.overlandpark.cc.